Hi, I'm Nikki O'Brien and this is Quintessential Being. This podcast is a heart-driven passion project of mine. It's about sharing stories, journeys of self-discovery, giving you actionable tools, shifting perspectives. It's about bringing you anything and everything that will help you understand yourself, love who you are right now, and deepen the connection with those around you. So thanks for joining me and let's jump in. Before I start this episode, I just want to give a trigger warning to anyone who is suffering from any type of mental illness or any emotional, spiritual or mental pain that feels too heavy to bear right now. There is help and support available, so please call Lifeline on 131114. They offer 24-7 crisis support and suicide prevention. In saying all of that, today I'm having this conversation about suicide ideation and mental illness because I am passionate about helping people in my community. I believe that it's a very real problem and that death by suicide is totally preventable. In this upcoming conversation, neither of us are experts. So please, again, if you're feeling triggered, contact Lifeline and that number again is 131144. It's really important to me that you understand my intention with having this conversation. It is to raise awareness, not just for those who are suffering with mental illness, but for the friends and family surrounding those people too. Because the stories that we tell ourselves in our heads are not always reality. And I feel the more that we talk about it, the less fear and uncertainty that surrounds it. And in a way, we can kind of normalize the language and the conversations that happened around this. This is just the experience and opinion of myself and Liz, and it's different for everyone. Liz Lane of Liz Lane Studio is an exceptional artist who creates in as many different mediums as are available to her. She's passionate about creativity, self-expression, and making connections through her art. Her vision is to create work that is evocative and relatable while simultaneously evolving and being innovative. She also happens to have bipolar disorder and has attempted to take her life. Liz Lane, thank you so very much for chatting with me today because we are about to embark on, quite frankly, a huge and frightening topic, suicide ideation. Um, I just want to put it out there that I hope that I have um, the grace and eloquence to guide us through this topic safely today, but I just wanted to, um, yeah, really show my gratitude for being brave um, and opening up to having this conversation with me today. Thank you for having me, Nikki. <laughs> I, I think it's an important conversation that probably needs to happen a lot more than it does. Totally, right? Because it actually, it scares the shit out of everyone. And up until now, I think it's largely been believed that the best thing to do is not talk about it. Yeah, well, I've, I have been think, I had been thinking about that. I suppose it's a combination of things, really. I think people are scared to talk about it because they're scared if they say the wrong thing, it could ultimately end, like, tragically or people just don't know what to say. Um, 
yeah. A hundred, like the fear is really real for me at the moment. It's definitely running through my body. Um, But the facts are suicide is the leading cause of death for Australians between the ages of 15 and 44. And it needs to be talked about because more than anything, it's something that's preventable. Yeah. 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 It is. (laughs) Um, So first of all, maybe we can start with you have a mental illness, bipolar disorder. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yep. Um, I didn't get diagnosed until I was about, I think I was 30. So I, it had been misdiagnosed from the age of 19 to 30 um, as just unipolar depression or anxiety and also uh, postnatal depression. Yeah, and it wasn't until I got to 30 that uh, the doctor that I'd been seeing for quite a while, like he was a GP and a psychotherapist, uh, kind of picked up on some um, symptoms that indicated that I had bipolar 2 um, and then I got diagnosed with that and then I spent a few years kind of on a roller coaster of finding the right meds um, I had some ECT but I'm kind of I finally kind of found a fairly good place with um, medication now although you know nothing's foolproof with with particularly um, psychiatric medication, unfortunately. So, yeah. yeah. So can you give us a little um, rundown of what bipolar is? Because it really swings between depression and manic, isn't it? Yeah, uh, well, uh, there's, there's a few different types. Well, they categorise it in a few different um, types now. There's um, bipolar 1, which is the uh, traditional not traditional, but the one that they were all classified under before, which is you have severe depression and then um, mania. Yeah. Uh, bipolar 2 doesn't have, doesn't usually reach mania. You get hypermania or irritability and anxiety, but the depression side of it is a lot um, more intense and mm. it will tend to go on for a lot longer, mm. uh, which is the type that I've got. And then there's a couple of others which are, I think the other one's called, I never know how to pronounce properly, cyclomania, I think, which I think is like rapid cycling. So somebody's moods are up and down and all all around, like really in short spaces of time. Mm-hmm. And then there can be mixed states, which is when people are depressed and manic at the same time. So, Yeah. So since being diagnosed, did the diagnosis help you? Like help you to at least to identify um, what was going on in your body and your mind? It did because I finally, once I got diagnosed with bipolar 2, I finally kind of felt like that that is what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I did spend a few years where it, it kind of almost defined me if that makes sense and I remember having a conversation it was with somebody I didn't know very well I think one of my cousin's boyfriends or something and he just casually said to me you know you really you know shouldn't let it define you and I realized that that is exactly what I've been doing for the last few years so it's almost like a process it's like you get it you go oh finally things make sense and then it becomes all about that and then once I got past that, then it was kind of now I need to learn how to navigate through life with this. Yeah, I totally. That's so funny that you say that. I was just 
thinking that like it's almost like you have to move through that process of yeah like really allowing that um diagnosis to wash over you and integrate it into your into yourself and then be able to move forward from that place yeah yeah wow okay tell us about the high days like what's happening when when those when that mania well you don't have it as much with with bipolar 2 you said no, I get hypermania and I also – but I tend to get more anxiety and irritability. Okay. So it's it kind of – it's, yeah, kind of a mixed bag really for me. Um, so I usually know if the anxi- if my anxiety is starting to build, I do start to get a little bit worried because it usually means that I could be having a shift in my mood state. Yeah. And so – well, anxiety is just yeah. I like I get. Um, I don't want to leave the house. Mine's mine's predominantly like a social anxiety and interacting with people. So yeah. I tend to not want to leave the house, and um, so I'll do whatever I can to kind of avoid leaving the house because of and and it's a fear. It's like I'll be gripped with this fear, but I can't actually rationally pinpoint a reason for the fear. Mm-hmm. It's just there and I just can't kind of get over it. And then I'll get – I'll move into like the irritability and my poor kids have copped it over the years. It's just like, can you stop chewing so loudly? <laughs> and so, yeah. Hypermania is quite quite enjoyable but it's very – for me it's very, very short-lived and it's like I'll get these bursts of energy and like my thinking will be really quick and – I'll be talking a lot and then – but it all speeds up until the point where I, you know, it crashes and I'm like I can't maintain it and then I'm depressed. Yeah, okay. So is the anxiety and that hypermania, are they kind of like warning signs for the depression coming? Yes, yes. The the anxiety – is easier for me to identify because it's unpleasant um, and it's uncomfortable. Mm. But yeah, the hypermania can be that it can be um, because it's a lot more fun. <laughs> it can be dangerous though as well, because I can do things like spend money that I shouldn't be spending and just generally do kind of more risky things um, than I would otherwise. Mm. And can you tell us about the bad days, Liz? Yeah. Um, well, the bad days, it's like all my fears are magnified and are sitting right under the surface of my skin. Mm. And I can't reason with any any of it, that, like any of the like sort of fear-based thinking that isn't ha- that's got no, you know, but basis in anything other than my brain Mm -hmm. and and I can't rationalize with what's going on around me either so I I it's like I want to shut down I want to mute everything I don't want to it's like my senses can't deal like sound has to be really low I can't handle too it being too bright it's almost like you know if you're in space going into stasis yeah um until the storm passes really and sometimes that 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 can go go on for days or weeks and i have in the past had months and months of it and is that like the scariest time for you and for your family yes 
it's it's scary because when I get really really low, um, the, the 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 big issue for me is the suicidal ideation. Yeah. Um, I get to this, and that's when I know I'm in I'm in a place that I really need to get help. Like if I start thinking about ways of ending it or hurting myself, then I know I, I've kind of gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a pretty normal thing for me for a lot of my life. Is that um, it was almost like I ha- I used to think that I, it was like I had a romantic affair with this idea yeah of suicide yeah I know that sounds terrible but it was um it it's was like just, a lover that you can always count on it's always there yeah, at the bottom yeah it was I suppose it's kind of in a way like you know people uh, think of heaven I kind of got in this really messed up way of thinking that that would be the, the solution to all my problems, like I wouldn't have to feel the way I felt anymore. Um, I wouldn't be a burden on my, you know, family. Um, I wouldn't have to feel lonely anymore. And 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 art wise, I think, well, you know, all famous artists became famous once <laughs> they're dead. So, you know, like, and quite a few of them have gone that way. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it was just. Yeah, and I, 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 a lot of years I spent a lot of time in that headspace and then I, I, I finally got to a point where I kind of went, well, I like, and I have made a couple of attempts, but luckily they weren't um, successful. But I kind of, again, got to a point where I'm like, well, is this, is this how you want it to end is this or do you want to keep going on like this because it's kind of not getting us anywhere yeah well it really like I I like the way that you articulate it there Liz it's like it it comes to you as a gift because you really believe that um yeah personally like you really believe that you're a burden and that and that it would be better it would be better for you and for everyone like and I um yeah and I think it's so difficult in that dark place to identify that your mind is fucking lying to you. Yeah, yeah. So how do you I, how do you navigate that headspace when you're in it? Well, it 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 took me like it took me a couple of like a few things happened around you know a similar kind of time that made me actually. Like I had my, I had to become aware of what was going on first. Yeah, um, that was the the thing. And uh, we had uh, a, a friend who committed suicide, and we went to his funeral. And that was really like I hadn't, in, I hadn't been to many funerals in my life. I still haven't really, but um, that was the first one I'd ever gone to where it had been suicide, and it was just really really confronting for me because there were there were children there like he had nieces and nephews and and just seeing how distraught his family were I kind of like I've always had this ability to put myself in other people's and I put myself in that coffin really and I and, and then I'm imagining my family sat there um and my kids and then 
my doctor said to me, uh, he said, my son-in-law committed suicide and his kids never got over it. Mm. And again, I was like, whoa. So then I started thinking about it from my kids' perspective. And then I, my favourite poet is Sylvia Plath and she she committed suicide. And I remember I was reading about her children and her son had committed suicide. And so it was just these things that I went, this isn't just about me. Like it's really just, it isn't just about me. My kids will never get over it. Yeah. They will internalise it. They will, you know, somehow think that it's their, they did something wrong. Or on the flip side, your parents. Your parents will never get over it. They think that, you know. So it was like, you know, I realised that it wasn't, as much as I feel like a burden, I'm not as much of a burden as I am integral in their lives. So then it was just I had to consciously stop the thoughts when they came in and it was almost like I had to train myself to not go down that. It was like I they come up and I go, no, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. We're not going down this path anymore. And I, I, I got pretty good at it, but I'm, I still have, I still have times where it, it gets the better of me, um, yeah. because of the, the nature of my condition, like, and that I can't, like, I'll never be cured of it. Like, I have to learn to manage it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it still comes up, but it's not like I won't spend weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, and, and, and then getting to a point where I start making plans. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like you know, like you're going on a holiday. Yeah. It's like I'm making holiday plans that are permanent. Yeah. And so yeah. I remember reading something that came up on my Facebook feed that was like, you know, I would I would a hundred percent rather sit with you for as long as it takes and listen to the shit that you're going through than sit for fifteen minutes at your eulogy. And yeah, that's yeah. something that you really need to remember when those when those thoughts are coming because they do come like they're you know like it's <laughs> the answer yeah. to all your pain. Yeah, but on the flip side, that here there lies part of the problem is um, the 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 individual who is feeling suicidal needs to you know kind of look at it, like address it, but so does everybody else. Like every, as far as they need, we need to understand that this is not just um, an individual problem. No, and like you said before, you can't just get over it. Like it's not something no. that you can just, you know, it's not like a suck it up princess move on, like that just doesn't, yeah. that kind of thinking and um, and that kind of language around this does oh, not I've, serve I've anyone. Had so- yeah, that, you know, pull up your socks, yeah. keep your chin up, you know, all of it. It's like, yes, I understand those words and I would if I could, but right now that's just making me yeah. feel even more pathetic. Yeah. That I can't do those things. Yeah, and so it's almost like... Um, 
yeah, it makes it worse. I watched a video of you. You shared a beautiful video on Brave Woman You on Facebook talking about thoughts of suicide and about that line, that wobbly line of, you know, will I, won't I? And you yeah. said that often there's such a small difference. Like wasn't it 49% to 51%? Can you tell us yeah. about that? Yeah, well, I heard an um, interview with Patrick McGorry who was Australian of the Year, I think it was maybe 2014, and they were interviewing him and they asked about uh, Robin Williams' suicide because that had happened very, very recently. Yeah. And um, he was saying in response to that, yeah, all it takes is a person can be thinking, be, be fighting those thoughts. Like there's, there's, say it's like almost like two voices. One's going, "Yep, do it. This is what you want to do. This is, you know, like luring you." Mm. And then there's the the other part, the rash, the more rational part that's going, "You can't do that. Think of your family. Think of, you know, it's not, it's not the answer." Mm-hmm. And it literally can be as small as one percent difference in that thinking that mm. can lead somebody to take their own lives, and when yeah when you think about that it so it could yeah it's it, that that's scary that's scary in itself because it's like that little and I suppose that's also feeds into people going I don't know what to say but it's not necessarily about what you say it's it's being there like for me I don't necessarily want anybody to say anybody anything at all yeah. I just want to know that I'm not alone. Yes. And that I'm loved. And so I said I said to my youngest daughter the other day I'm like I don't want people to find pro- solutions for me like cuz I'm smart enough to figure them out when I'm well. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that, Liz. I just want to repeat that because it's it is everybody's own is it it is everybody's own journey and it's yeah. not about finding things outside of yourself. It's about it's about holding space with someone in that t- moment so they can get to the other side. Like you're crossing a fucking river, like a real yeah. shitty, dark, horrible river. And if you can hold someone and just be there, like you said, to get to the other side, then the person can do their own work. Yeah. That, and, that's it. and it's like it's, it's like if somebody had a physical injury or something and they couldn't cross the bridge. Are you going to leave them, like, on the other side, you know, to perish or are you going to help them cross? Mm. And so, yeah, and then I just said, like, to, to my youngest, I'm like, all I just sometimes want to do is I just want to put my head against somebody's shoulder mm. so I feel connected to somebody. Yeah. But there's no um, expectations and there's no – you're just in that moment feeling like you're not alone, really. Yeah, you're feeling human connection. You're yeah. feeling you're feeling that love. Um, it's you're feeling the duality. You're feeling that love of human connection, and that someone's there with you, as well as trying to navigate the 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 darkness that is going on in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what else do you know that works for you, Liz, in those moments? To to you know to beat that one percent. Um. Well, I, do, I write a lot, drawing, like anything creative, that's for me has always been the way I kind of work through 
things. And yeah, I feel like if I somehow put it down on paper or which is usually my go-to when I'm really low, it's almost like I've um, relieved myself of some of that heaviness. Well, most of my poems will come from like I'll just, it's like just start writing, just stream of consciousness, whatever you, and and then I'll have to go and I'll be trying to find the bits. I'm like, ooh, I'll have that bit and that bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, On saying that, is there anything, is is there a poem that you wanted to read out? Sylvia Plath's daughter is a poet as well, and so I read this. She wrote this poem about when they made the film about Sylvia Plath. Yeah. And so I wrote a poem in response to it that is kind of like my own daughter's response to me if I did that, if I committed suicide. Yeah. So that's the one it's like. Hopefully it's not too heavy. Okay. A daughter's response. I watched her do it one year in five. My mother has dug in for a repeat performance. I carry the memory of her happy, a spinning top, a wind-up toy, and I think I should offer my mother words that she can hold in her hands as comfort, as a reminder that she is not a monster. She is not a suicide doll. I don't want her lifeless, a souvenir. I want her alive and alive and alive forever alive Mm, that's beautiful I love that thank you Liz that's okay and what else do you think um, friends or family can do to help someone experiencing suicidal thoughts apart from just being there like you said and you know offering that physical comfort I think uh, particularly for people that are close to the person that's struggling is to try and get as much understanding. Like I'm always trying to research about things, you know, so I get a better understanding. And I think that we could all benefit from looking into things a little bit deeper than what we do so that we understand it, especially if it's something that we it's not a lived experience for us. Mm, Um, And I just think the the biggest thing is is to listen first before offering advice or telling somebody what you think they should do is to just listen. Like I always say to my kids, we've got two ears and one mouth, so we should do twice as much <laughs> listening as we do talking. That's such a good and, saying. And and in I think even in these cases, we should act like maybe we've even got four ears and one mouth. Yeah. So, yeah, and asking what can I do, what would help right now? Um, just letting, yeah, letting the person feel like they're not alone. Check, yeah, checking in on them. Um, no guilt, guilt, no guilt at all. Yeah. No, like you know, why haven't you been in contact or anything like that? Don't do it. Yeah. Because it's just, it's it it is literally toxic. Um, and isolating too. You're isolating someone yeah. further into. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just. It's kind of really making them feel like they're not alone. Mm. Yes, and they're acknowledged and their feelings are acknowledged because that's huge. When somebody acknowledges your feelings, 
uh, as opposed to dismisses them, that's that's huge. You feel seen, you feel heard. Yeah. So um, I think that's. I think those are the things. It's just. It's yeah. It's compassion, really. Yeah, and I think like and like you said, I think feeling seen and heard isn't that what everybody wants? Yeah, you know, like and and um, I love that point about understanding like even if it's not a lived experience of your own we really you know we're in a day and age where information is at our fingertips um you know but sometimes we can't understand something unless we've lived it but that's why conversations help and that's why listening helps and and, yeah and or if we haven't been affected by it but you don't want to end up in that place with this like you don't want to end up in a place where you've experienced somebody you love yeah. take their own life. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Liz, about such That's an okay. important topic. Have you got anything else to add before I let you go? Have you ever seen the documentary that um, Stephen Fry made about manic depression? No. Well, uh, um, he came up with for the, the other day for some reason. That's funny that you mentioned it, but no, tell me about it. Well, he made one because I bought, I got it sent over from England on uh, DVD, but you can watch it on YouTube now for nothing. Um, it's called The Secret Life of the Manic Depressant, and he uh, he goes around and speaks to people who live with it, mm-hmm. and both quite famous people and ordinary people, and he co- covers kind of all the areas. And that, but then he did ten years later. He did a follow up to see how some of them were doing, and to see how things had changed as far as treatment and research and all that. But I very often, if I'm struggling, will watch that because it makes me f- feel like I'm not alone. It mm. reminds me that there are other people out in the world that are kind of, you know, living with this stuff. And he covers all the, you know, all the really hard topics. Yeah. And and Stephen Fry's reasoning is because he lives with it. I think he was trying to find out more and better understand himself and, yeah. And like you said, that feeling of not being alone, like he totally would have wanted that too. Yeah. On that documentary as well, they talk about trauma. It's trauma, um, particularly bipolar. But I think it applies to all mental illness. It is triggered by trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Trauma's relative, so it, it like one thing might not affect somebody, but if you're like someone like me who's you know in the bunny's ears, um, too sensitive, like something else is going to really upset me, mm. and it's like I feel it through my whole like it affects everything. Yeah, and yeah, and so and trauma actually changes the way our brain works. Yeah, and things like that. So. Yeah, and I think that's probably why there's more. It seems that there is more mental illness, like always cropping up. Like more and more people seem to be affected by it because we live in a world that is so dramatic. I think so, and I think, like you said, how many times have you heard? Have you had conversations with with people, and they've been like, "I've never been right since," or "I've never felt the same since." You know, yeah. I think everyone can pinpoint um, a certain either phase of life or situation that happened or, you know, that um, that does change. It does change your brain and then you never respond yeah. the same because you lost something in that moment, something yeah. so integral and, to you. 
and because c- we we're not allowed it well in western society particularly we're not allowed to express um our true emotions and responses to things like that yeah. it's like you know you go to african tribes and they'll have ceremonies and they'll jump up and down and scream and you know or dance and but we we're just kind of like you know just dust yourself off, move on. Totally. Or take a pill, move on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. It's just like just get that under control. Because you're you freaking everyone else out. out because we all experience it but we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so like that. I remember reading a thing, um, I don't even know where I saw it from, but saying how, how animals move through trauma. Like if you see a gazelle getting chased by a lion, right? and the gazelle gets away from the lion, they have this physical reaction where they literally shake out their whole body and then it's like they reset their nervous system to get over that trauma and then they can move forward. I was like, imagine if humans could do that. Like you said, yeah. if, if we had ceremonies or, you know, screaming and dancing and, um, you know, honouring, honouring the fucking yeah. feelings that are going on, I feel would be... The trajectory of our mental health as a society would shift hugely. Yeah, it f- affects our whole physical though as well. Because I, when I went to get the my most recent tattoo, I was had been really depressed for a few days. I've never sat. I've sat through a few big ones. I've never been in so much pain. Yeah. Like it, it literally felt like my nerves were sat under the surface of my skin and every time he touched me with the tattoo gun I was just it was like he was cutting me open yeah and I was just like whoa that really that really also made me go it's it's all connected yeah it totally is thank you thank you so much for sharing yourself for being vulnerable being brave um and just yeah moving through this conversation with me so that hopefully we can help other people have the conversation and be there listen and understand and you know help each other yeah well that's ultimately yeah what i i hope that it's helpful even if it's just one person it's worth it totally Liz Lane from Liz Lane Studios, being brave and opening up to conversation about suicide, mental illness, and of course, art. If you want to connect with Liz, you can find her at lizlanestudios.com. You can support her also by becoming a patron of her art or purchasing her gorgeous poetry books. Thanks for listening today. I know that it's heavy and it's not my usual style, but I feel it's so important. And like Liz said, if it helps just one person, then it's totally worth having the hard conversations because mental health is just such a huge issue in our community and we can't see it. So it's hard to know that others are experiencing the same thing. But I just want to say that you are not alone, no matter how alone it feels. I also just wanted to reiterate that if you are having suicidal thoughts, please reach out to someone. If you don't have strong family and friend support, there are a lot of places to go. Lifeline, that number again is 131114. It's 24-7 and you can reach people to talk to voice to voice. If that's not your thing, there are a myriad of online forums. Themighty.com is a great one headspace.org.au these are all places you can chat online as well as voice to voice and they are free the power of that one percent is real and please don't underestimate it 
If it's not you having these thoughts, but you know someone who is struggling, please reach out. As Liz said, you don't have to have the answers or offer solutions. Just someone being there is enough. Listening without giving advice is one of the most powerful healing tools available. It's just so important because death by suicide is preventable. And I believe by having conversations like these, it opens it up. You don't have to punish yourself for feeling like things are out of control or unmanageable. Because believe me when I say that we all feel it sometimes. Until next time, take care of you and your friends and family. Be kind to yourself. Big love.